2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Well, folks,
0: things have a way of escalating out here in the West. You think the boy's telling the story? Well, we'll just have to see you. You know the story. There are two kinds of people. You lucky and unlucky?
3: hale and frail upright and sinning no dead or alive
0: i'd appreciate it if you'd deposit your weapon in the receptacle by the swinging doors and if and i don't
1: what are you doing israel walking backwards
3: don't do that (laughs) why not
1: because you ain't no outlaw we're in for a fight (laughs)
0: What is your business? Well, I like to say that we're harvesters of souls.
2: Alright, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and the story is as follows An anthology of six short films that take place in the 19th century post Civil War era during the settling of the Old West. The film is starring James Franco, Brandon Gleason, Zoe Kazan, Liam Neeson, Tim Blake Nelson, and Tom Waits. It is written and directed by Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen. The Cohen brothers, joining me for this review, I have Beatrice Loiza.
0: Hey everyone.
2: Cody derricks Hi. And returning to the next Best Picture podcast, Deanne Knighton.
1: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
2: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Nothing like a good wholesome family gathering of Cohen <laughs> brothers, right? <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say howdy. I'm sorry. Aww. Oh. <Yeah>. You know, it's one of those things where I I, I kind of said to myself, what am I going to show my family over the Thanksgiving holiday? I could pop on Netflix and show them The Ballad of Buster Scruggs or Crazy Rich Asians. What am I going to do here?
1: I feel like you know the answer to this question.
2: These are questions (laughs) that get asked in the Neglia household, okay? Because the Coen brothers, anytime they release a new film, it is something to be celebrated. And this is actually very unique for them. This is their first digitally shot film from a visual aesthetic standpoint. It's also an anthology film of six short stories, which is also something different for them. And it's being distributed by Netflix. However, it is currently playing in some select theaters that you could see right now. So... There's a lot of firsts here for them. One thing that's not a first is the fact that they are coming back to the Western genre, again, something they previously explored in True Grit, and to another extent in No Country for Old Men. So, with that said, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, what we're going to do for this review is we're going to break it down each of the six stories individually. We'll talk about them one at a time, and then maybe if we want to talk about any unifying themes or stuff, we'll save that for the very end. But let's actually start off with chapter one, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Why don't we start off actually with Deanne?
1: Sure. Um, Okay, so I ranked all of these. This was actually the one that I personally happened to like the least when I was watching it. But I will say that as um, kind of all of these stories started to weave together, in retrospect, I actually appreciated it a lot more as I went along. But when I was first watching it, I mean, obviously it's kind of the most absurd in tone, but it's also... You know the irony is not lost around the whole tree, but also just like a stone cold killer. Um, Oh wait, spoilers. Are we
2: spoiling? We're spo- yeah. Why not? People will probably watch it's this on a Netflix. Kind of
1: not to. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's readily accessible. People.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he dies. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he does. He he, he gets his <laughs> wings.
1: <laughs> um, and uh, But I, I thought it was an interesting way to sort of set the stage for the rest of the stories around this uh, wild, wild west world. It's like uh, eye for an eye. It's the perfect place to sort of stage this morality mortality tale that it kind of tells. And so I thought this was a good opener, but not my favorite of the show.
2: Okay. All right. Beatrice, what about you?
1: Yeah. I, when I first saw it, I, I loved it. It
2: was so absurd. And,
0: and surreal. Um, and right after I ended the whole thing, I thought it was up there for me. But now, I guess two, three days removed after watching it, it's kind of sunk to like the the middling range for me. Um, but I mean, I still liked it. I liked all of them. Spoiler for my opinions. Mm-hmm. As we go through the rest of these, I thought Tim Blake Nelson was perfectly cast. He was like a Looney Tunes character. But with this dead look in his eye, that just yeah. expressed the sort of menace that his character represents. So I really, really liked him. Um, and I agree with Deanne. I thought this really encapsulated the morbid sense of humor that all of these chapters address. But also, you know, the morbid sense of humor that the Coen brothers are all about. Um, so I thought this was a really interesting opening.
2: I enjoyed it. All right. Cody?
3: I liked it, too. Um, I did find it a little unusual looking back on the movie. It feels like the outlier of all the short films, not just in tone, but also in style. I I, I think it kind of maybe put me out, like set me off on the wrong foot because it's so comic and so funny. Um, And he's also addressing the audience, which doesn't happen again in the movie, I don't believe.
2: Mm, That is true.
3: So to have it start comedic, I kind of was expecting it, the rest of the movie to be that comedic. And then it wasn't, which is fine. But I think it just took me a little bit to get used to that. That being said, when he does shoot or cause the, uh, the gambler to sort of shoot himself and everybody's singing and dancing, and it's really funny, but his brother or his compatriot to some degree is genuinely upset. I feel like that maybe was a little bit of a hint as to what the rest of the movie would be like, not just um, in terms of people taking death seriously, but also, death is everywhere in the West. And I really think that's kind of the unifying theme of the movie.
2: I am 100% with you there, Cody. I think that the comedic tones of this opening is supposed to kind of lure you into a false sense of security about what kind of a movie this is going to be. And, yes, I was completely perplexed by it as well. I'm like, oh, we're breaking the fourth wall. Oh, there's a lot more songs in this than I thought it was going to be. Hey, Tim Blake <laughs> Nelson is singing for the first time since Oh, Brother, Wherefore Art Thou? This is so much fun. And, like, there's a lot of other little moments in here too, like when he shoots off the guy's fingers or when he, uh, <laughs> he like, taps himself on the chest and you see like the puff of smoke and like the image of him like or dust rather but there's like these really 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 funny comedic moments that Tim Blake Nelson sells very well and then shockingly he gets shot and what what that does to the audience is it serves as a reminder to say hold up now you may like this character a lot but these are only going to be about 15-20 minutes long and they're over and that's it now maybe there's a lesson to be learned in each one individually, but I'm with you there, Cody. I think the unifying message of all the stories, and I'll keep coming back to this as we go along, is that death is completely random, and especially during this time. And for anyone here that watches Westworld, I mean that's like the whole <laughs> mo of the show to a certain degree of uh, why people would want to you know come back to the old West, uh, because it was just such a wild time. It really, really lives up to its title of being the wild west so this idea that you can't be top dog forever like he says and you know then they have that really really great moment where he does get his wings and like a cartoonish angel he starts to fly away into the sky as he sings another song it's both poetic but silly and self-referential in that Cohen Brothers sort of way that just does add a layer of brilliance to it so then as we transition then to near Al Gadones, I know for a lot of people, like James Franco is not everyone's favorite person right now at the moment. So I know that there's like kind of a sour spot there for a few folks right away from the very get-go that we're following this character. Um, but I will actually start us off by saying that I, I think that Steven Root, who is this eccentric bank teller uh, opposite James Franco, uh, steals the show here in this story. Uh, Beatrice, what did you think of Near al Well,
0: I think the moment when, what is the actor's name, Steven Root? yeah. I didn't even realize when, when he comes out and he ends up being not what James Franco expected was a highlight for the entire, the entire film. It was hilarious and Mm -hmm. absurd. So that was definitely a favorite moment, but in general, um, not my favorite. However, I thought that visually it was the most beautiful for me. of, of all of them. Okay. I thought it was shot really beautifully those scenes where you see him hung from the horse as the Mm -hmm. horse is like slowly grazing away from the distance yeah i thought that was was really beautiful
2: yeah those wides are definitely uh very very uh captivating to see especially because um you know there's so much empty space around them uh they're truly in a isolated desert area where there's no mountains or anything like that it's just the image of him on the horse with uh, hanging from that one lonely tree, it, it's strikingly well shot.
1: Then there's the arrow through the neck that I have to tell you, um, I, at home, I was a little bit worried about how this would look visually. But that scene totally caught my attention. And, it, yeah. that whole, you know, that whole yeah. fight around him, that was pretty incredible
2: yeah it's actually I think um, I remember hearing this out of Venice when the film premiered and I was paying attention to the movie to watch out for stuff like this but uh, somebody commented this might be the most brutal and violent Coen Brothers film we have had more so than even no country for old men and uh, yeah a scene like that where I'm watching guys get hacked to death and arrows going through necks and stuff Mm -hmm. and I was like a guy got scalped yeah yeah yeah, like all right this is living up to the reputation here (laughs) Now, I mean, there is still comedic elements, though, um, that do, I think, carry over still from the first story. Like that moment with the arrow through the neck, um, like you said there, uh, Deanne. uh, That guy breaks the arrow and you think to yourself, oh, he's back in the fight. Nope. And never arrow through the neck. And
1: that's the recurring theme. I mean, he gets off the horse with the noose and then he gets hung, right? So it kind of goes back to that whole idea you were talking about. That you never really know, and you know what I actually found interesting both about Scruggs and this one in particular is. Um, that again, in retrospect, I appreciate them a lot more because as we move through these, I think in addition to talking about how fallible life is, there's a overreaching message about sort of understanding of the afterlife and who are who is or is not worthy or what that looks like in a place like the Wild West. And so I, I find these more impactful in retrospect than I did when I was watching them.
2: You know, there's something to actually be looked into with that because Uh, James James Franco in this uh, particular segment actually has a few near-death encounters where he evades death and you're almost left to ask yourself is it divine intervention is it something else what is it and the movie doesn't give you any answers It, it it I don't know if I listen I don't like boiling things down to just luck you know sometimes but maybe that's really all that it is maybe it is all just luck in the end Cody what do you think
3: this was probably my least favorite segment.
2: I think it's definitely the most unengaging and the shortest yes. too, right? Isn't it the shortest? It felt very short. Yeah. The,
3: the the next one also felt kind of short. Uh, I liked the cinematography, like you said. Um, I don't remember who said that. Somebody said that. Bruno
2: Del Bene. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. I I saw this in theaters actually because I wanted to kind of.
2: See the Coen Brothers on the big screen, I guess. Was your theater full or was it empty? It was
3: packed. Oh, that's awesome. I was, I was, we, we kind of got there kind of late and I was not worried. We had to like search for a seat. It was packed and it was busier than my screening of Widows a few days before, which was a little bit (sighs)
2: surprising,
3: disheartening. Um, I was, I was sure we'd be the only ones in the theater, but that was nice to see that people still go see movies that they could watch at home ostensibly for free Mm -hmm. on the big screen. Yeah. Which is. Very encouraging, um, but I agree. This one, this one, and the Tom Waits Gold Valley segments were, I think, the most gorgeous Beautiful. cinematography. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that this kind of also kept the comedic tone of the first one, but it was a little darker. It was more brutal. It was again kind of easing you into the rest, the tone of what the rest of the movie is going to be saying.
2: Yeah. Anyone else? Any final thoughts on this one before I move to number three? Uh,
1: number three. Good Lord.
2: Let's just get into it. So so then we switch gears. Um, we go from brutal mm-hmm. and amusing to a very somber, very quiet, and very slowly paced uh, story called Meal Ticket uh, that follows Liam Neeson as a poor traveling carny, whose quote unquote Meal Ticket is this actor, uh, Harry Melling, uh, that's the actor who plays him. And he has no arms, no legs, and they're going from town to town performing various great works of writing for um, the local common folk. And let me tell you, if this went on any longer, I think I might have been depressed beyond belief because this is by far, for me, um, I would say actually it's my least favorite, mostly because of A, it it is definitely very slow, and B – it 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 depressed the hell out of me. Um, by the end of it, like all the humor was just gone.
1: Yeah, and so I didn't realize that that uh, is Dudley from Harry Potter. I had yeah. to look him up. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I know this guy. I have a um, so, Yeah, that that totally surprised me. Um. You know, maybe I'm a little bit sicker in the head or something, Matt, because I actually liked this one because it resonated with me the most. Um, It wasn't my very favorite, but it was up there for me. And it is the one that I will say afterward that kind of stuck in my head. It's a very, very sad um, portrayal of, like, exploiting for profit and discarding art for quick buck. I mean, it, it just goes to this whole other place,
2: yeah, no, you're you're right about that. You definitely are. I I think that this is just one of those things where because the Ballad of Buster Scruggs as a movie is a roller coaster of emotions and feeling. Uh, this was just where I maybe just because upon first viewing, and after the tone that was established with the first two stories, I wasn't expecting it to take such a sharp turn like this. Where I I, I was waiting to laugh again, and I think I could just feel when I saw this, that the air in the room just got totally sucked out until we got to the next story. You know what I yeah. mean?
1: Totally. Yeah, it was It's definitely. as dreary as you can get. I mean.
2: <laughs> yeah, there was this sense of dread when you
0: see
3: Liam Neeson dropping the rock into Ooh. the river oh my and God.
0: realizing what exactly was meant by that. Ah, oh, it was devastating.
3: Yeah, that took me a second to realize exactly what was going on, but then it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh. <laughs> awesome. I,
2: I knew as soon as he got the chicken. I just knew it was just a matter of time because uh, what's very what's also very interesting is that uh, they don't really convey that relationship through words. It's all conveyed through action. Yep. Between the two Do you characters. Think they're
1: related? I was going to ask you guys. I, I couldn't quite figure out if I thought they were related or not. I ended I up thinking don't that they weren't.
3: Think so because he has an Irish accent, Liam Neeson, I believe, and the actor is a British one. And That's you can true. hear when he's passing the hat around at one point, he's mumbling something about found on the streets of London or something uh, to that effect. Oh, I missed that. Okay, got it. Mm. Uh, you're right. I like that they he only the only time we hear the performer speak, it's reciting dialogue. He doesn't have a yeah.
2: voice
1: of
3: his own in the story.
2: Yeah.
1: But it's moving when he speaks.
2: Very much so. Yes. Very very commanding and passionate.
3: Mm-hmm. A beautiful performance
0: by Henry Melling. Who would have thought from Dudley? Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> Who knew? Someone.
2: Yeah. And I will and I will yeah. say this actually, in terms of cinematography, uh, this one actually stood out for me. Um, hmm. uh, maybe because it was the bleakest and it was the darkest of them all. And the way that they shoot those uh, stage performances I thought was very uh, very beautiful. And I I also really love the match cut uh, where they have – it's the scene where Liam Neeson goes to the brothel and uh, Harry Melling is facing the audience with his back turned to Liam Neeson and the woman. And then they just do – I'm sorry, it wasn't a match cut. It's a, a, a smash cut where they just smash cut then to after they've had sex. and. What's very interesting is that his facial expression, even though his um, body isn't like in the same exact spot, um, you just see his facial expression on that uh, smash cut just completely change. And it's just a really, really, really sad piece of storytelling. Uh, and like so I said before, sad. just illustrating their relationship. Like, even the woman offers, like, you know, does your friend, like, you know, want any? And he tells her no. Like, it's just like... He
1: won't even allow oh. him to have his humanity or... Nope. To- right.
2: He has right. no
3: voice in anything going on in his life. And it's dour on both ends because,
0: you know, you we obviously see Henry Melling's fate, but then also, Liam Neeson was scammed.
3: Yeah. I liked um true. how I liked how slow it was. I know it could be a little boring at times, but I think the length and the taking its time was necessary just to show how dire their situation was. Also the dwindling, you know, audiences, not just in terms of size but also reception to see that kind of really puts you in Lee Mason's headspace, even though he does is awful. Also, it was really, I'm, as an actor, seeing, like, empty houses was really kind
2: of, really made me upset. (laughs) (laughs) So now we move over to the halfway point of uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs with All Gold Canyon starring Tom Waits. And I will say that this is my favorite story of the six, personally. Um, Deanne, what about you?
1: It's my second favorite. I loved it. This this obviously was such a nice palate cleanser after we were watching Meal Ticket, even though it had its own, um, you know, obviously stress to it. I loved the simplicity of just watching him pan for the gold and talk to himself. I, ha- I have no idea why, but I loved it. I thought Tom Watts was so commanding. And um, obviously I loved the beginning and the closing shot with, you know, kind of the wildlife in this beautiful space and then kind of them recovering their spot after man left i i thought it was beautiful
2: you know i i learned uh later on that this was actually all shot on location
1: oh wow i want to go there i want to go too. to there right <laughs> yeah. right
2: it's like the clouds of heaven just open up and just a ray of sunshine just like lands on this valley and it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen it's like too perfect to be true but no it ta- it actually exists uh in uh telluride actually so oh, wow yeah.
1: Y'all That's need to crazy. come west. It's a beautiful place.
2: <laughs> so, not only does it feature what was for me my favorite cinematography of the film uh, by Bruno Del Banel because of those uh, wide shots, but it also features uh, one of my favorite lines of 2018, one of my favorite line readings of 2018. And that is when Tom Waits says the following line. It didn't hit anything important. I loved it. <laughs> that, <laughs> That's what
1: you were going to say.
2: That it. is the oh, funniest God. laugh out loud moment I think I've had at a movie theater all year.
1: <laughs> You're just so uh, happy for
2: him. Oh my God, I was cheering. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, it was so incredible. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, uh, what about you, Beatrice? What did you think of all Gold Canyon?
0: I also like this one. I uh, like Deanne. It's my second favorite one. Um, because you know, so much of what Buster Scruggs as a whole establishes is the inevitability of death, and each of them confront it in a like morbid or depressing way. But All Gold Canyon does address these issues, but it takes a completely a different approach, which is so refreshing, especially after the the the, the three chapters prior to this one. Uh, I I thought it was a breath of fresh air and. I agree. Cinematography was is also up there for me.
2: Cody? I
3: loved this one. I think it touched on a theme that was maybe singular to this story, if not strongest in this story, which was man's kind of corruption and destruction of nature, especially in the Wild West.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah.
3: There's the, – the every chapter starts with um, a painting that shows a moment Because there's the framing device of the book, which is, like, what we're reading, essentially. And every chapter starts with a painting of a moment in the upcoming story. And the one in this is when he climbs the tree to steal those owl eggs. And the caption underneath says something something to the effect of, he looked out and saw neither man nor man's, um, man's, what's the word? Creation? Something like that, yeah. Man's influence. Mm. And... To watch the valley go from this beautiful, pristine, actually, like you said, heaven on earth place to this place pockmarked with, you know, man's greed and violence was really kind of upsetting, but still nature, you know moves on and finds a way, essentially. <laughs>
2: and I love yeah. that about it. The, the, once again, there is a uh, poetic lyrical quality to actually the way you just described that uh, that setup there that um, I think resonates very strongly uh, with people for different reasons. You know, one of the things that I think as we get to the end here is that... Um, if you don't like one story in the Battle of Buster Scruggs, there probably is another story that will speak to you much more. And I find it very hard to believe that somebody could watch this and actually hate the entire thing. That doesn't like kind of compute for me because I, I definitely feel that there's enough variety provided with these stories and enough um poetry in the way that the beauty is conveyed uh, both through dialogue and on screen and through the humanity shown in the performances that there's got to be something to appreciate here for everyone, right? You know, and I think that uh, we all maybe are in agreement. It's my second favorite, but I have a feeling for some of you, it's your favorite. The girl who got rattled is Mm. probably the highlight of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Maybe, maybe not.
0: Yeah, it was my favorite. Ah, okay. We
2: have a winner. <laughs> what about you, Deanne? Uh, where does it rank Not for you? Not my
3: favorite.
2: Not your favorite. So okay.
3: Let Beatrice go.
2: Well, Okay, wait, and Cody?
3: Uh, I it, it wasn't my favorite when I watched it, but it's the one that sat with me the longest afterwards.
2: Yeah, I have to agree with that um, as well. Uh, the Girl Who Got Rattled to me stayed with me, I think, the longest, maybe other than Meal Ticket, which ironically is my least favorite. But The Girl Who Got Rattled is my second favorite of um, all of the stories here. And why we, yeah, why don't we start off with you, Beatrice? Uh, tell us, why, why is The Girl Who Got Rattled your favorite?
0: Well, on the one hand, it did benefit, I think, from being the longest one uh, of the oh, six. Yeah. And so it, it felt the most like a mini movie as opposed to like a short or a chapter of something. Um, and... Through the narrative, I mean, you learn so much about Zoe Kazan's character, Um, exactly the sort of person she has become because of her relationship with her brother, who sort of talks down to her, determines everything that she's going to do in her life. And then once her brother dies, she sort of really has to confront her own independence. And it's set against the backdrop of just the unknowability of the West. Ah, uh, which I found really beautiful, and then there's that uh, I thought really captivating love story that is developed between her and um, Billy. Who's that actor? Yeah, I, I Bill was Bill unfamiliar Bill with him, and I thought he was
2: really
1: great. Yeah, he was great.
0: Um,
2: great. What What a polite gunslinger! <laughs> you don't get You don't get many of those.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm in. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly.
1: where's that guy? <laughs> That's
0: exactly what I thought. I was like, man, what a way to propose to someone you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know obviously you know we we all know what happens she She shoots herself at when she's really confronted with the anxiety of the unknown as represented by the Indians and you know the whole dream of of living a happy married life with with this cowboy <laughs> goes to shit and it's super depressing mm-hmm.
1: I think that's really well said though because I have to tell you I didn't have nearly as many eloquent words written down but the word I had was compliant and that just speaks to everything you just said just in terms of kind of who she was at her core and what kind of led to her undoing
3: in the end as well kind of not being able to think for herself Ugh. Right, right because the moment she's literally rattled she R- right goes into the <laughs> furthest extreme reaction you possibly can
2: and unfortunately, it's the most tragic of all. And to to your point, it's not even something that comes of her own doing, but because it's something that Mr. Arfer, uh actually, he suggests to her and says, this is what you need to do should something happen to me. And I, I mean, let me tell you, as an audience member watching that scene where he does get uh, hit by the Indian, we're all thinking she's going to save him. Right. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And <laughs> That's it, a good point. it just took I, I forgot that he said that to her, and I wasn't prepared to take that literally uh, at yes. all. It's a con uh. movie. <sighs> <sighs> that's that's what that's what made it so sad. And his reaction to it was, you know, one that I thought wasn't. It was very believable, but what hurt him more, and the perfect moment where this story chooses to end off end off on, is with that line where it says, "Mr. Offer did not know how he would tell Billy that. Oh, that final shot of like him in the distance walking uh, towards him. I'm just like, holy shit. And what makes that the searchers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what makes it resonate so strongly is that we never do get that scene. So we never get to visualize it. So your mind is left to do the worst visualization of how that news (laughs) will get told to him. Right. Oh, it's so heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, this is definitely the best kind of depiction of human connection, though. And I think it was put right in the story where it was meant to be to kind of show, you know, every a lot of these other relationships are very inauthentic. And I think this has the most kind of real touch to it.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, uh, also, you have a a dog, which. Always humanizes oh, things. Well,
3: President Pierce.
1: <laughs> oh, President Saboteur. It's oh, so my long.
3: God. I know. Ah. Those damn prairie dogs.
2: I swear, if I get a dog one day, I'm definitely naming it President oh, yeah. Pierce. It's am- <laughs> That's, a homage. That's an
3: amazing name. <laughs> uh, I, just to touch back on the human connection, the romance between those two characters is What makes it even more tragic? And I thought it was, I mean, they're so cute together. (laughs) They're such a nice couple. It's just nice to watch nice things happen to nice people, especially in a movie that has not had that much as of yet. Besides, you know, a man, a bullet not hitting a man's liver is, (laughs) you know, the only reprieve in this movie so far.
0: So to watch them
3: establish that connection, it really just makes the end more tragic because they could have easily had her just, you know... Her brother died and she doesn't know how she's going to pay this guy and she's nervous about this husband coming up. So if she shot herself, it would kind of seem like, yes, awful, but like her life wasn't looking too great. So the fact that she had this prospect, this positive moment in her life, and she still did that
2: makes it even more tragic. Mm -hmm. Did anybody else get Oregon Trail? vibes in the opening of this i was like i was like yo when her brother died of disease i'm like yo am uh, i about to see oregon trail the movie like i thought God, the same I know, thing. those
1: shots were beautiful and i did read just you know that they did like you were saying that was all on set and they had real oxen and the whole deal that was pretty That's
2: amazing crazy
3: yeah
2: yeah very much These so guys do it right hey they're <laughs> calling brothers they don't fuck around yeah. And now we come to the final story, one which I have to say, upon first viewing, I was um, left a little perplexed at first. I didn't quite understand it. Upon a second viewing, though, um, I watched it again, actually, this time on Netflix. Um, The Mortal Remains, for me, uh, is kind of a culmination of the themes of the movie. And while you can make the argument that the girl that got rattled maybe has, say, The most impactful ending or one of the other stories has, you know, better character or or whatever it might be. Um, The Mortal Remains, I think, is the one story that embodies uh, the overall theme of the movie, and that is the unknown uncertainty of death. And what it all means for, for all of us, despite our backgrounds, despite our characteristics, who we might be, what we've done in this life. It doesn't matter. It's coming for us all, and we don't actually know a damn thing about it. So with that said, um, I want to pass it off actually first to Beatrice. What did you think of the final story, The Mortal Remains?
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I'm still thinking through it. Um, this was This was one that initially didn't affect me. Um, as much as the other ones did, um, but it's still it's so haunting, and it, to me it it feels so much like I don't know a scene out of a horror movie, which kind of makes it feel different than the rest of them. And in particular, I thought it was a really good showcase of of how easily the Coens can flesh out characters with really simple tools, and in this case, just a single stagecoach ride. And it's really fascinating how Intriguing, these people are with just like, or how intrigued I was at the moment by just watching these people talk to each other and how much I was able to learn. Um, but I I think I'm still sitting on it.
3: (laughs) Okay, all right, Cody. I really liked this one coming out of the movie. This was my favorite one. Um, I have wow. Pensions
2: for it's horror my movies. So, it's my favorite the... too. Coach. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh wow. I haven't heard many people say that about this one, so that's that's great to hear. This might have it
3: might not be my favorite anymore, but that was my immediate reaction was this is my favorite one. The tone of it was perfect. Mm-hmm. It was spooky but perplexing and you want to know more about it. This one was the one I wish it was a little longer actually. I know it'd be kind of having your cake and eating it too, but I kind of wish they we saw them go into the hotel you know, the afterlife hotel as it is. Um, And I really like how this ties into the theme of death comes for everybody. It's the great equalizer because there's these three people in the coach who were to assume, I imagine, that they're dead and the two bounty hunters are reapers because they even call themselves reapers. Yep. So to have one woman who's led this, you know, sinless life, she believes, and then a man who's led a very sinful life and then a man who's led a very solitary, strange life and they're all going to the same place, I love that. See,
1: I agree. <laughs> I'm totally with you. you. This, you know what? I have to tell you what I love the most. And this is going to sound so weird, but the ending to this reminded me of what it used to be like to sit in English class and read, read a book and be able to talk about, Like what I loved, I had the same reaction from that book. Same reaction, and it put it took me to this nostalgic place that I loved, and so and, and and it was just the themes all coming together. And you said it exactly. You said it better than I would. I mean, I I wrote down, you know, you have the Christian and the scan the scandal and the guy who doesn't believe in love. You said it all way more eloquently, but yeah, that just the fact that at the end of the day, who's to say, you know, where it all ends up? And I thought. It was a very interesting um, way to capstone this, and I loved it. Oh, also, I'm pretty sure, didn't the Englishman, when he was telling the story about watching people die, didn't he break the fourth wall there?
2: Oh, uh, I think he, that's, that's actually very good, because you could interpret it that he is actually talking to both the audience and the character.
1: It feels like it, a little.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. I I might have to actually go back and rewatch that to know for sure if he's looking dead on at the camera. Uh, But you're not far off there in saying that. That, That's a good observation, actually. Um, One of the things that I also really liked about this was how each one of the three characters that is in that stagecoach kind of recaps their life in some shape or form. So that by the time we do get to the end of the ride, we actually have a very complete and full understanding of who these characters are and the kind of lives that they have led leading up to uh, this moment. And I love that only the Coen Brothers can do this sort of thing where they can have dialogue be meandering, but at the same time, give it purpose. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I feel like there's some dialogue sometimes where it just goes on and on and it, it almost comes off like the writer is very in love with not the character mm-hmm. or the movie that he's making, but himself and how well he can make dialogue or she can make dialogue. And yeah, it's here, sprawling, but it's character specific and focused. Exactly, exactly. So, I really love that. I also love to the tone of it all, just in terms of the visual style. How we start off as uh, the sun is uh, setting, and we go to a uh, pure night uh, time view. And I, I love that there's a gradual change of that as the story progresses. And to your point, Cody, it gets more spookier as it goes. <laughs> so that by the time we do okay. get to the house, then it's like, wait a minute. What kind of a story is this exactly again? What is about to happen? And, oh, you know, and it just leaves you on that moment.
3: Did you guys notice the carving on the door? There were two carvings. One was an angel, I believe, and one was a goat. It was kind of yeah. like, these are your two options in the afterlife.
2: I did not notice you that at all. Did not. Hell so
1: wow. wow. That's I the big screen experience. You <laughs> saw something on the big screen we couldn't see on our small screen. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Damn you, iPhone. Damn you. <laughs> so at that point, then this, the storybook closes. That's the end of the movie. And I, I felt like I got a full, complete cinematic experience from this. It's not perfect. And it's not like a cinematic experience that I would rank up there with some of the best I've seen this year. But I still got my I got my fair share worth with this one, I felt like. It, it It was a little over two hours long. And yes, I do I wish some of the stories were a little longer? Absolutely. Do I wish some of the stories were a little bit better, maybe even? Absolutely. But taken as a whole, this very, very much worked for me. And it is because of the thorough line of the uncertainty of death and also the uncertainty of what awaits us beyond death that weaves its way through all six stories that I felt like held this whole entire thing together. Great. Yeah. Anyone have any final final thoughts on the movie as a whole? Anything to do with its text or anything that they want to uh, talk about before we get to uh, f- uh, final grades and its Oscar potential?
3: Uh, I have a minor gripe. It's very minor. I kind of wish the t- the title was different. I think it sets it up as something it's not. I wish it was called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Other Stories or something like that, which I think is what the actual book in the movie lists it as. But it kind of gives this false impression that it's all going to be either centered around or reflective of the tone of the first one, which was another issue I had with it. It's minor and it doesn't really matter, but I would have changed the title.
2: I have to agree with you on this. And I also think, too, that there was also probably some dilemmas at Netflix over how to market this film because I remember that first trailer coming out and a lot of people being like, I don't understand what this movie is about. Yeah. And I we know from the trailer that we have a character who announces himself as Buster, Buster Scruggs. But is he the main character? Like, what's the story? I, I felt like they don't even... They didn't know what to do with it, almost, it seemed like to me. Yeah. So... I, I definitely would have given the Coens a note, and I probably would have said, "Listen, try to come up with a uh, even if they said like something generic, like six stories from the West, or I don't know, like Death in the <laughs> West. I don't know. D- sure, you know, Westworld by the Coen Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just something.
0: I, yeah, I agree with you, Cody. I to me, it felt like if the Coen Brothers had written their own like Bible." Like it felt <laughs> just like the Old Testament, but like inflected with like the weirdness and 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 you know the morbid humor of the Coens.
2: I love that. I love that. Oh my god, this idea yeah. of it. This is their Bible. That's amazing. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Well, they've been working on it for like twenty years, so I don't know Ooh, that you're that far yeah. off, honestly.
2: Wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. i love that um i do want to give a shout out to uh some of the texts in this movie and i think yeah, you know what? actually I'll, I'll save that for our oscar potential talk actually why don't we get to grades here uh cody let's start off a few what grade would you give the movie the ballad of buster scruggs and if you have this prepared how would you rank the six stories okay
3: so i initially gave it a six but it is the rare movie that has grown on me and not depleted in quality in my head so i'm bumping it up to a seven which seems low but also, you have to grieve the Coen brothers on a curve because they're just masters in what they True. do. True. Even their <laughs> worst movie, like, I don't know, Intolerable Cruelty, still has, you know, qualities and care and attention in the filmmaking. Ranking of the segments, I think now i got to go, one, The Gal that Got Rattled, two, The Mortal Remains, three, um, All Gold Canyon. So well, all three of my favorites were at the latter end, which was kind of a nice buildup. And then I'd go Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Meal Ticket, and um,
2: Outside, whatever that town is. Um,
0: Alga. <laughs> Alga Donis. I don't know.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, Beatrice. Uh,
0: so I thought there was something interesting about every single chapter, and I liked each one in their own way. So it was hard for me to pick a favorite. But I do have this written out. So. <laughs> uh, my favorite one was The Gal Who Got Rattled. Followed by All Gold Canyon, then The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, then Meal Ticket, and Near Algodones, and then The Mortal Remains. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I said, I I really did like every single one of them. However, I, I don't think this is my favorite Coen Brothers movies, or even anywhere near the top. And honestly, I'm not sure how to justify that aside from following my gut. So that being said, I'm also giving this movie a 7 out of 10.
2: Okay. And
0: it's
1: graded on a
2: curve. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, Deanne.
1: So very similar. uh, Seven out of 10. I would call this mid-Coen Brothers for me personally. There's a, a lot ahead of it and some behind it. So that's a really nice sign. I am... Just reminded of the pain of Mudbound last year and how also Mudbound was kind of an inconsistent film but had s- so much to offer and was so beautiful. It did get a little bit of recognition in award season, but unfortunately, I think some of the inconsistency in the Netflix treatment at that time... Uh, didn't do that movie a lot of favors. And so I'll be curious to see as we move into award season what we have here. I mean, the cinematography in this and the filmmaking is beautiful. The original script is interesting. And I will say that for somebody who actually typically doesn't like anthology type of storytelling, this worked for me. So I, I give them a ton of credit for what they did. Um, but I'm a little worried it'll just um, underwhelm in the award season.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you have a ranking or?
1: Oh. Yes, sorry. It's okay. Number one was Mortal Remains. Number two is All Gold Canyon. Number three is Meal Ticket. Number four is Gal Who Got Rattled. Number five is Near Algodones. And number six is Ballad of Buster
2: Scruggs. I love the variety here. I'm loving it. Oh, this is so exciting. Um, I have the highest grade. I'm giving it an eight out of 10. That was my curve because initially I gave it a seven. But uh, as was said a couple of times here, this movie resonated with me after I saw it more than I expected it to, and I found myself thinking about it quite a lot, and even though I do think it is slightly imperfect, um, like I was saying before, it's one of the most unique cinematic experiences that I've had in 2018 so far, and my 8 out of 10 rating on the Matt Neglia scale, the Next Best Picture scale, whatever you want to call it, um, signifies to me that it's one of the best films of the year. It may not make my top 10, but I think it's one of the best, and I haven't seen anything like it, and I had a lot of fun. I laughed. I got really sad. I got emotional. I mean, like, it had everything that I wanted uh, from, a, from, a, from a movie. So I got to give it some credit for that. Um, for me, uh, number six is Meal Ticket. Number five, Near Algodonis. Number four, The Mortal Remains. Number three, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Number two, The Gal Who Got Rattled. And number one, All Gold Canyon. Backwards.
1: Hmm. Okay, so Matt, is there ensemble potential here?
2: You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and on a second viewing, I have to conclude that I do not see a single one of the actors or actresses from this movie getting any Oscar traction. I don't either. I would love to see Zoe Kazan. Me too. She's my she's my best in show. I don't think it's actually like a I don't know. Is it weird for me to say that I don't think it's a true ensemble? Um, I think it's an ensemble. <laughs> no, 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 I know I don't think it
3: actually turns like a unifying
2: Connective cast, right? Because it's like, do I choose? Because like, yeah, because then you have to ask yourself, like, are you choosing the ensemble, or is it just like a massive actors? Like, is it is it doing? six ensembles? Is it one ensemble? Like, like what? Like, how do you? I don't know. I don't know how to view the movie in that context. Then you know. Well, here's what I think. I think the film has potential in the following. This, and tell me if anyone's got anything more than this. But uh, I think that. Best original score could show up somewhere because I think Carter Burwell's music in this is absolutely Mm. lovely at times. Yes. Yeah. Love him. Makeup and hairstyling because you just never know with that branch. (laughs) You just never know. And there definitely is some wigs and some uh, makeup in this that uh, I could see capturing uh, the eye of the Academy for sure. But I mean, it's not, is it the best? No, but like I said, the makeup branch is weird and, you know, that are the same category that might nominate Uncle Drew for all we know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, best Costume Design. Um, I think that it has to be thrown in there somewhere because of the variety on display with all the different stories. Uh, cinematography for sure. I would actually go so far as to say I think cinematography is the film's best bet at a nomination.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed.
2: I agree. Yeah. And I do think that because, yes, it is the Coen Brothers, uh, we have to also consider it popping in for screenplay as well.
3: Would it be original or adapted? Because I know the All Gold Canyons and um, The God That Got Rattled are based on short stories,
2: but the rest are original.
1: Yeah, like Jack London. Exactly.
2: He did All Gold Canyon. I have it put in original for now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's one of those things will get contested later on as the season goes. And if it is a contender, um, I think that they will move it into whichever category, uh, both satisfies the need or the call, so to speak, for it to change. And uh, and which, whichever field they think is weakest, they have the better shot of getting in for. Well,
3: we'll see what the WGA says.
2: Exactly. I mean, I think that's going to be the true test yeah. right there. You know, we'll see where they weigh in with this. And I mean, where whatever they do, I have a feeling that's the way it's going to go. Probably. I don't know. You know, Moonlight won original last year, but yep. was nominated for adapted. Uh, so, so who knows, right?
3: <laughs> right. Because, I mean, four of the stories are original, but two are adapted. But The Gal That Got Rattled, which is adapted, is the longest. So it's like, do you go by time? Do you go by number of
2: stories? I don't know. I don't know. That's going to be some weird ruling. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, I don't see it having uh, Oscar potential in any other categories. I agree. I think cinematography is its
3: best bet. Maybe screenplay, maybe. But this year is so strong in both screenplay categories, I don't really see it having room in there.
2: No, I, I agree with you. But, you know, like I said, they're the Coen brothers. They, they have to be on, in the conversation because That's the movie true. is well-reviewed. Um, it's going to be widely seen.
1: I hope people watch it. I really do hope people watch it.
2: Well, the weird thing about that, Deanne, is that we'll never know how many people mm-hmm. actually watched it because freaking Netflix. <laughs> For the
1: love of God. <sighs> I want to
2: know. You know what? It's been working for them so
3: far, you know? I know. It probably would depress us if Adam Sandler is their highest you know, watch movies, as Cody, they say his it. movies are. I'm sorry. It's not me. It's Netflix.
2: <laughs> this is a better Western than that. That's for sure. <laughs> My God. Uh, all righty. Well, with that said, I've got nothing else. Anybody got anything else before we go? Nope. Okay. Beatrice, where can they find you on the internet?
0: Find me on Twitter at BeansproutBia. Bea.
2: Cody? You
3: can find me on Twitter and Letterboxed at CodyMonster91.
2: And also follow his horror movie podcast.
3: Yes, we're on a mini yes. hiatus right now because we're very busy. But if you want, we'll be back in December. We're Halloweeners. You can follow us at HalloweenersPod.
2: I got you, man. I got you.
1: Thanks,
3: Matthew.
2: Deanne?
1: Um, this is Deanne at Tweedle DD 33 That's D-E-E-D-E-E-33.
2: So happy to have you back, Deanne.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: Absolutely, as always, your family. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, Castbox, and now newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your thoughts and any comments that you can leave us there. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for one dollar minimum a month you can get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time